Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. And of course, I'm Al Warren. Mr. Joe Goldberg is sitting here talking. I'm sitting here talking and I'm looking out the window, ready for the snow to fall. Ooh, snow is falling in Chicago. No. Shut down. Well, it's supposed to. But everyone yeah. shut down the roads, right? Yeah. Well, you know. Does this people... snow where you are? No. No. no, no. <laughs> nothing. It's raining. No, no, no. Nothing but rain. It's Canada. Canada doesn't snow. Yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> no snow in Canada. It's tropical. Oh, it's crazy. Give it a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Get a suntan all year. Um, well, let's get it. Now, today we have a... Uh, a writer joining us today, and and his uh, book is called Scavenger Hunt, and it's a novel. He's got quite a history, and uh, it looks like quite a book. So, Mr. Chad Boudreau, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, Chad, um, you have quite a history of um, working in different government agencies, and and there's just all sorts of things here, like uh, Homeland Security. You've got, um, you know. Uh, shipbuilder you've got all this stuff so what made you kind of get away from that and get into the writing um into a novel well i i really started writing as i was developing my career so i don't i never stopped and then started writing it's always been just a parallel universe that i've lived in if you will i had my dream job when i was 28 working for the department of justice and I kind of stumbled into that. And, and and as I stumbled into it, I really was just in awe with the environment. It was right after 9-11. We were in Washington, D.C. It was a very harrowing experience. And uh, as a part of that, I just started writing. I had um, I had a great Dane named Judge who is actually in the book. It's the only real, real character in the book. And uh, my wife was pregnant with our first child, and I it kept me up at night. So as a part of being up at night, I would just uh, take out my old Something just north of a TRS-80 computer, I think, Holy at the cow. time, and uh, started typing away. The so boat anchor. That's where it started. Yeah. Well, what 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 was it that um, you were trying to get out of the writing? Were you you were just writing for yourself, and you were trying to work through things? Do you think in your mind, or was this something that you wanted to, uh, to to eventually put out? Did you know that back then? Yeah, I didn't really know what it was. I think it's it's a little easier for me to articulate now, and it's it's just co- almost like a psychological release. It's, you know, you're in the legal world at least. You're always writing precisely. You're you're writing in a formulaic way that's not as creative. And I think just being able to put the rules aside, 
when work is over and and have the ability to decompress and think of a good story and just and just kind of let the the creativity flow from there was was always something that that calmed me down and and, and it excited me so I, I kept doing it so you're kind of getting a lot of it so you when you say it calmed you down and stuff or, or were you being very personal in what you were writing or was it completely to escape what you were doing yeah it was something short of escapism but it was definitely you know some form of of escape i, I think um and I, I just want to be clear with that with that word that can be misused sometimes but for me i think the best way to describe it was i would show up at the main justice building pretty much every day in a period of time when you know national security was was everywhere it was it was uh, right after the terrorist attacks on, on 9-11. And I was amazed at the building in which I worked. I was amazed at what I was seeing around me. And it just, I needed a way, an outlet to, to write that down and to memorialize it. It was, for me, <clears throat> I've said this before um, as a part of this book, but you know, I, I was looking at a building, an historic building that had seven floors on the inside, but I, it looked like eight floors from the outside. And so I was always trying to figure out what that eighth floor was all about or what the windows were all about. And I couldn't figure it out. I did research, couldn't figure it out. And finally, I, I met someone who told me that that used to be the FBI ballistics lab. And so I went, found a custodian, asked him to, to get me up there. And there's, there's literally a secret staircase that gets you to the eighth floor. Now it's more of an attic with a, a bunch of heavy equipment up there. But I walked around with that individual and he and he actually knew a lot about it and and it's when when I saw that and I was able to walk that top floor is when I really felt like I needed to write a book wow how so how does how does completing this book change you like it, when you have completed it now you're you're, you're doing the promo tour and this is going to come out to people how do you think the writing process actually changed you well, I think that, you know, once you get a book published, I think, you know, there's some, there's some validation there. There's, you know, you, you, there's different stages that I think change you as a part of the process. You know, once, once you're trying to find a publisher, maybe an agent, uh, that's a hard part. That's a learning experience. I think you become a better writer when you go through that process. There's, there's really no shortcuts to that I, that I know of for good writing. And so most of the authors that I speak to now in the author community, they all have these stories of how hard it was to, to break through. And once you break through, to answer your question directly, it changes you because that's what people want to talk about. I mean, I always thought I had a pretty cool job, no matter what job I was in growing up and you know getting older. But um, it doesn't matter if I'm chief legal officer of a Fortune 500 publicly traded company or if I'm working at the Department of Justice, what people want to talk about is the book. They want to know about it. They want to know when it's coming out. They want to know what it's about. And so that's, that's kind of fun. And it's, and it's, and it's interesting because that's what I would rather talk about, quite frankly. Yeah. I concur with that. Cause you know, people's like, they're in awe that you have a book on the shelves that you hold in their hand. They treat you like, you know, Shakespeare, you know, you've got, you've got something done and it's some mystical, magical thing. It's kind of refreshing in some sense or motivating and strange when they treat you that way. So that's a good experience, right? You like that? You like that experience? It is. And so I'm curious what you think about it. I've always tried to figure out, you know, what's causing people to be so interested in it. I think there's some people that are just generally interested and who like to read. I think for the most part, however, the people that I talk to are, are aspiring writers in their own regard. And they, and they want to know, how did you do it? They, they always ask the question, how long did it take you? You know, how did you get started? It's always the how-to and 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 when did you find time? Those kinds of questions. And then normally, probably I would say 50% of the time on the heels of that, they'll say, you know, I have a story. I've always wanted to write a book, you know? And so I think that's, and it's hard. It's hard for people to to finish it. I think it requires, you know, a dedication and and time commitment that some, for whatever reason, find hard to, to get to. They probably yeah, want I, to be a part of it, right? Yes, well, certainly my family, they all want to know, like, well, who's that person? You know, why didn't you name me? Why did my name? Yeah. <laughs> so. I'm an anagram now. Thank you. That's Thank right. you very much. Right. Yeah, I think people want to, they know you. It's, there's your, your name's on a thing that's on the shelf. 
and, and, and you know, they have a story to tell, as you say. Just it's you want to motivate people. You want to talk to them. You want to say, "Here's how it's done." Right? You 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 want to be supportive of the people who were trying thinking about things when that were that was you three years ago or five years ago. You want to you want to be supportive, right? You do, and and it's hard because you want everybody tells you when you when you're trying to get published, when you're trying to finish the book, whatever the milestone is, they're always telling you you have to just keep at it. You know, don't give up. Uh, if you if you keep at it, eventually things will happen. And for most people, that that sounds, yeah, that sounds right. But I, I don't know if I really trust it. And I want to tell people you have to trust it because because the going through the hard part actually improves your writing, which in turn makes you more marketable. And there's that process that I think is required. And um, and so I really want people to to believe that. But I'm I'm not so sure that just saying it will get the job done. So in your book. Uh, like talk about me. My first book was was basically fiction auto, autobiography. Is this book, you know, writing the phrase is uh, write what you know, right? Is this writing what you know? Absolutely. So this is, and that's the fun part is I didn't have to do a whole lot of research for you know to get the plot right. the The book itself, what what I say is. It has, it's a spy thriller. It's got a, a strong national security background. I don't want to call it a terrorist book because it's not a terrorist or a terrorism book per se, but that is a backdrop. I don't want to call it a legal thriller, although you're going to learn a lot about the law if you're reading it, particularly national security law. But there are nonfiction books that if you really want to learn about those things, you can go pull off the shelf. You will learn a lot about that in this book from my own personal experience, but the book is really meant to be entertainment. And if I don't capture the reader and entertain the reader from the very beginning until the end, then I've failed. But hopefully along the way, some of the things that I've lived through, the experiences that I know about will come, come through the book. And I think they have in Scavenger Hunt. Such as? Such as the tension between national security and privacy. That, you know, there's, there's, there are factions on the side that are, um, are very passionate about increasing national security or maintaining privacy. We really saw that, you know, back in the 2003, 2004 era with the Privacy Act and whether or not we were going to reauthorize the Privacy Act. You know, the Privacy Act was had all of these provisions in it that helped law enforcement and intelligence, you know, go after bad guys. And uh, it would be it was normally for the, you know, for certain things that we would have for the mafia or otherwise that were now they were trying to put on um the more of the national terrorism piece and they needed more tools, but the privacy groups uh, were also saying, well, hold on a second because we don't want our privacy upended by all of this. And so what the book does, I think is it puts the characters in the spot where they are doing outrageous things in a real setting where those tensions come to light and you're able to analyze them in a way that I don't think bogs the story down, but it just really you're, you're, you're living the moment of what it would look like if you were under increased scrutiny and you had to, you had to do things that otherwise you wouldn't want to do. And in doing that, you really put those tensions uh, right in the middle of the story. I have to wonder then um, when you're focusing on a real event or when a real event is kind of the backdrop, you know, with things so, I don't know what you, what I don't want to get too political, but with things so talked about these days, um, did you try to not direct it at any one meaning, any one group or another? Like, do you know what I'm saying? So, like when you're talking about security, and then you're talking about privacy and stuff like that, they can be deemed political. Um, are you trying to stay out of that and not really give? A direction for your readers correct so i i do have i do have you know viewpoints and some of them are passionate more passionate than others but um in this world i really do i think that there are good arguments to be made on both sides so i really try to draw that out i think um you know i really learned this you know when i went over to the homeland security department and michael chertoff was the secretary at the time and that was a new department we were and we were meeting with uh, groups from both sides, being with strong national security groups, and we were meeting with strong privacy groups. 
and in, including those that represented different cultures that, you know, if you're not careful, can be um, can be prejudiced by all of this. And so I, I learned at an early age that you need to take in all points of view. And you know what? It's if you just play it down the middle, it'll take care of itself. I mean, I mentioned earlier the uh, the Patriot Act. If you'll recall, back in the the era that I talked about, two thousand three, two thousand four, it was really the uh, I would say the the national security hawks that wanted that passed. And now today, with the politics of today and all that's gone on since then, it's that group that's saying, "Hey, we don't need we don't need the Patriot Act," you know. Um, anymore like we did. And so it's, it's kind of interesting to see how that's transitioned and evolved over time. So do you, did you write this with some sort of subtext or meaning behind it, something uh, underneath the entertainment that you hope your reader gets, or did you avoid that? You know, I think it comes out, but I, first and foremost, I wanted to write an entertaining story that was based on topics that, that I really enjoyed and that uh, interested me. And I wanted to make sure that from the first page until the very last that the reader couldn't put down the book. And, um, you know, if I look back at it now, I can say, well, you might find a subtext here. I don't think you're going to find a political subtext that leans towards one party or another. You'll probably find, um, you know, the fact that I, you know, um, love, you know, love what I do. And I love, you know, um, living in a, a country where we can have these debates. And I think a lot of that is, is, um, you know, expanded on in the book. Chad, you come from a world of legal and government that are pretty much rigid and built upon you know, process, procedure, and policies. Is that how you write your books? Do you use that same sort of mentality when you're trying to put on this, you know, complex stuff in an entertaining manner? Yeah. So let me just first say that as relates to the, the plot of my book, that's the main problem that they have is they can't get past the bureaucracy, right? They can't move fast enough to stop terrorists from doing X, Y, or Z. And so they're, they're taking inordinate measures, extraordinary measures. And that's where the tension in the book comes and starts driving things. So I probably did, we talk about subtext. There was probably a little bit of me post 9-11 where I was saying, we've got too much bureaucracy here. Uh, we need to tear down this or whatever in order to save people. There was, you know, I was 28 years old. I probably had a lot of that. But um, but in writing the book itself, I love the fact that there are no rules. There, there are no rules in writing fiction. I love that. But there has to be structure for me. I have to have structure in order to, to, to make it it, uh, to make it work. And what I mean by that is if I don't know when I start out what my title is, that's going to bother me. I need to know, generally speaking, how many words I'm going to have in a book. The answer to that for me is probably around 100,000 words. And I even say I probably will aim for 50 chapters. And that structure is just enough for me to say I need 2,000 words for this chapter. I need to have this many chapters by the end of the week or the month. And that gives me, so I don't know if that's bureaucracy or just a little OCD, but, uh, but it definitely is required for me to function. And so love, love the, love it within that structure, kind of going crazy and not having the rules that I have in my legal writing. But, uh, but certainly I need that structure. It, it also gives you the uh, flexibility, especially like in the, to end it the way you want and to have certain amount of justice, um, accomplished in the book when you write fiction rather than when you're writing um, 100% uh, legal or truth, right? That's right. That's right. I, and I, I, I will say this, I, I push my lawyers now, both the ones that work for me inside my company and the ones we hire in law firms, to really be creative, uh, even within the legal briefs now, because I just think that's what judges are used to seeing when they read, when they read stuff they want to read. And so uh, it used to be very formulaic back in the day, these, this, this language of comes now, you know, here comes now plaintiff. And, and now it's, you know, Bob was hit by the car and, you know, nobody cared about him. So it's, uh, it's even creeping into my legal writing. And I think it's actually made that more effective, actually. Right, right. People relate to it. Um, so your characters, um, how do you 
create your characters because you're writing a lot about uh, things you've experienced and you're taking from a lot of your own, you know, uh, day-to-day actions with people and stuff. So are these characters from people you've worked with or been around during different events or are they completely um, something you create in your mind? I start with a pretty strong core with each character and characteristics that I pull from others. And, and then they kind of grow from and develop from there. So the protagonist in scavenger hunt is a lawyer that works for the attorney general of the United States. His name is Blake Hudson. And Blake is a Supreme court, former Supreme court clerk who is very young to be in the position that he's in. So I was very young to be in the position that I was in, but I was not a Supreme Court clerk, but I worked with a lot of them. And so I was drawing from that. There's very few people at the Department of Justice uh, in the positions that Blake are in that are not like top of their class at one of the top law schools. And so, um, so I took all those characteristics from people with whom I worked and and I think Blake's an amalgamation of of many of those. He's also got a lot of the trial lawyer in me. And um and so that kind of blends in nicely, I think, with the more academic side that uh that he also has. And that allows him to function at a high level with a lot of horsepower, but he's also fun and a little bit unpredictable. A lot of people um that we interview talk about their fictional characters. Um as if they know them like they're real um and they they experience them hear voices sometimes whatever what's your experience when you're writing your characters yeah so i think for, for me i one of the best books i've ever read on writing is on writing by stephen king and i think S- stephen king is one of the best at at creating characters at least that i can relate to and when I first read on writing, he talks in that book about your characters being put into an incredible situation where they have to get out and it's in their characters kind of do what they want to do. And you don't have a whole lot of control over how they're going to react to the situation. When I first read that, I kind of rolled my eyes and I said, that's, that's the hokey stuff that is not helpful to me. But after I wrote scavenger hunt and as I've finished my second book, even last week, I really believe that now. And I don't know, it's probably just the psychological blip, but, but for me, I put my characters in crazy situations and I tell them you need to get, find a way to get out of it. And as I think about them getting out of it, they, they end up doing things that I had not planned that they would do. So back to the structure piece. One of the things that I do when I write is with those 50 chapters I talked about, I will give some semblance of an outline for each of those chapters before I begin my book. And that's more. It's more, I would say, scaffolding than anything else. But about halfway through the book, the scaffolding really changes. Sometimes I have to break it down and build it back up because my characters have done stuff that I did not anticipate that they would do. Now, it's always better, but, um, but it's not always predictable. So your characters are running the show. For the, yeah, they, they really mess up a good outline. I can tell you that. <laughs> They surprise you. They do surprise me. I've, I've I had one that was this, uh, you know, sweet woman in my last book, and she's become very uh, devious and, uh, you know, really caused a lot of havoc. But, boy, it's fun writing about her now. It sounds like um, though you are writing for escapism, you also have a great love for the, the work that you've done, like the jobs you've had, like you really have a passion for them and stuff. How do, how do you feel about uh, – when you're writing and you're following this kind of book that the gen a lot of public uh, feeling toward law enforcement and justice and stuff like this isn't so positive lately. Yeah. I think um, again, I, I think that there are, there are two sides to it and depending on, you know, where you are in a particular crisis or where you are just generally location wise, you know, you, you need to look at the facts of each, Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Situation. So I, you know, I support law enforcement, but I also support restrictions on law enforcement. So I, I think in our society, you know, how we really try to make things binary. And that's what I really want people who read scavenger hunt, if there's any challenge, I want them any subtext coming out of that. It's probably this. These are not easy questions. These are not black and white questions. They're hard. They're really hard. The, you know, one of the, I'll just give you an example. You know, one of the political uh, things that I see now is relating to immigration coming on our Southern border. I know a lot about, you know, the Canadian U S border that, that you're familiar with, so, and you may be familiar with the southern border as well. I spent a lot of time on the southern border when I was at DHS, and it really changed me. It changed me because I was a law enforcement person. I, you know, I still support law enforcement, but what I found when I got down there is there's a human element to this that nobody's talking about. They'll talk about it conceptually, but but here's a specific example. We heard about children in cages. All right. And really what that means is, is that children have been detained and put in ICE uh, facilities or martial facilities on the border. Nobody wants that. OK, but the way you characterize it is important. When I was at DHS, one of the problems that we found, we would we would get briefed by the intelligence agencies. And I used to get an unclassified briefing in addition to the classified briefing specifically tar targeted to. Uh, the criminal gangs in northern Mexico and the immigration system, if you will, on that southern border stretch four states. And you would see all sorts of trends, trend data coming out. You would hear anecdotes. Well, one of the things that we were seeing back in 2005 and six, where children in Mexico were getting kidnapped without ransom. We had no idea why that was happening. And so when more we pressed into it, we learned that the human smugglers, they call them coyotes, but human smugglers in northern Mexico had figured out that we had a, a loophole in our immigration system whereby if you came in as a family unit, then they would either put you, they, if you came in as a family unit, they would give you really a notice to, to come to a court hearing. And then they let you free inside the country just automatically. And so there you go. You, you would be able to come in as a family unit. And so and the reason for they, they do that is for human, humanitarian reasons. You don't want to separate families. 
And so what happened was, is the, the human smugglers started stealing little, little kids in Northern Mexico and marrying them up with couples. I put that around quote air quotes to, uh, to force them to go in as a family unit or to pose them as a family unit. And the kids had trouble keeping up. And so they would, they would feed them ephedra, ephedra in a hundred plus degree heat, obviously dehydrates you very quickly. And we were finding dead bodies in the, in both deserts, the deserts in Northern Mexico and in Southern United States with children who were not being buried. That is a very macabre real fact that you don't hear a lot about, but that was one of the reasons why, um, you know, we were always trying to figure out ways to deter people from that family unit coming across as a family unit um, when it led to that kind of kidnapping. So just a just a very terrible, terrible situation that I when I saw the, this coming back with the with the kids in cages things, I worried not only about that, but just about the the practice itself that I just referred to. But those are not questions where you point fingers at people and say, how dare you do this? How do you do that? That's a problem that needs to be solved by sober people who have children's and family's interest in, in, in the, in their heart. And, um, and so that's when I look at the politics of things, that's kind of the way I, I look, try to look at it sober mindedly because normally, again, it's not, it's not as binary as we make it out to be. It's a tragic story and you hear it, but I ask you as a writer, how much is that realism to try to get into your books? That's that granular sense of place and feel and time that make people react. Yeah. So I try to put people in that place and time as with a, as, as much specificity as I can without dragging my story down. My first uh, draft of scavenger hunt had detail after detail of the main justice building. Cause that's a building that most people have never been inside. It's one of the most, it was one of the prettiest buildings in our, in our country, certainly in DC and um, again, there's there's just a lot of artwork and there's a lot of um, architecture in there that that people will never see. So I, I really wanted to to give a good picture of that. And, uh, you know, about about a quarter of it made it in. I mean, after after sophisticated, more sophisticated editors than I am looked at it, they said, I, I think you painted the picture very well without, you know, dragging us down in the details. But so I'm always. I'm always very um, cautious not to do that. But yeah, I, I I hope that, you know, when people read my book, when I read others' books, I want to be in that place in time and I want to see what's around me. What did you find to be the biggest struggle of writing? Finishing. <laughs> how did you know God, when you were done? Let's go there. Yeah. yeah. Like, so how did you, how do you know when the book is done? Like for you? <laughs> so, well, this time around, so I'll tell you I, what I've said before is it took me uh, 18 months over 20 years to write Scavenger Hunt. So, um, but, uh, you know, in the, the, the latest book that I wrote, nine months. And so uh, it goes to editor tomorrow. So, um, so th th I think it does get better. I think it, it's a learning process. You need to get your confidence. You need, you, you need people along the way to tell you don't quit because you don't share too early, but when you share, people are going to respond. And you need to take criticism in in stride. You need to have thick skin, all those things. But for me, I don't I, I think you 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 do the best you can. You get a final together. You know, it's not going to be perfect. You have to say it's not going to be perfect when you're writing 100,000 words. Not every word is going to be the perfect word. Right. And you just hope you get it right most of the time. And then you then you you have a date hopefully where you're going to submit your manuscript for publication. And that's, that's when it's, when you think it's over now, now I, I almost have to correct myself on the fly here because for scavenger hunt, I had this amazing thing happen. It had got picked up for publication. I had, you know, worked with the editor. I'd gotten it to a point where I was really happy with it and turned it in. And it was that time where you're like, okay, now we're going to go celebrate. We've turned it in. And I went on a business trip to D.C. And on my business trip to D.C., I was in an event and I ran into three former attorneys general of the United States. And I knew two of them. And I was and one of them I had worked for. And he was asking me about my book. And I said, I just sent it in. And, and then another one came and he said, hey, what's this book about? And I'm saying, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and so, you know, talking about my book and I was talking about the, the hidden eighth floor, like I just told you about. And then 
one of them turns to me and says, well, did you know about the hidden apartment above the attorney general suite? And I almost fell down. I said, no, I did not know about that. And all of them to a person started talking about this room where uh, Robert Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, not JFK, would take Marilyn Monroe above the suite. And so I, in this book, so I got all the details I could of this. And, and just listening to these former attorneys general describe other things in that office that I'd been in, but I did never really paid attention. And I didn't know about that top room. And um, just walking through that, it, I, I called, I called the publisher when I got home and I said, stop, stop the press. I've got, I've got, I've got two more pages. I've got to write. Oh boy. <laughs> there's, there's, there's lots, there's gotta be something about, uh, there's so much, so much conspiracy out there too, with, with government and government agents and, and also with, um, you know, public figures like Marilyn Monroe and stuff. I, I, I guess it must be pretty interesting being in that kind of a field. I think so. I mean, we, it's funny because we all read spy thrillers too. And so it, it's, uh, <laughs> Some of the some of the the novelists have never been there. Probably more exciting than what the actual work is. But yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot of intrigue. I think uh, particularly overseas. You know, here we have at least in the United States, probably North America in general. You know, it's 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 pretty controlled. But when you get overseas and you've got a lot of other things going on, you really get like into the case officer world of the CIA. That's, I think that's where people really get, really get interested. Of course, the FBI is always interesting and um, it's fun to, uh, it's fun to craft stories around either of those agencies. Yeah. As a former kind of case officer, it's not very interesting to write about balancing out your cash box. (laughs) No, nobody really wants to read about that. Oh, come on. (laughs) Yeah. It's a thrill. Yeah. Who do you read? Then you you talk about some spy novels and stuff. Who do you like to read? Yeah, my favorite is Robert Ludlum, and um, fortunately he's no longer with us. But uh, and I just also I, I love Tom Clancy. I love the details of Tom Clancy. Brad Meltzer is another one, particularly his early works. Uh, he wrote a book called The Tenth Justice that um, that I was reading yeah. about the time when I started writing. So I have to say that was probably inspirational on, for me as well. I knew some people that had worked in the White House Counsel's Office. And, um, at the time. And so, um, that was, that was fascinating to me. So I'm sorry. There was, he had, he had the 10th justice, but the one that was first counsel was the one that he came out with after that one. And it was about, uh, a lawyer inside the white house, uh, counsel's office, but both fascinating books to me. And, um, so that's where I, uh, uh, and then, and then, um, actually, I do read other books that are popular, like Dan Brown. I, I, you know, I, I started reading a few of his books recently, um, just because I wanted to know. I saw his master class, and I thought his master class on writing thrillers was was really good. And um, and I just I'd never really spent a whole lot of time in his books. I think I'd read. Uh, maybe his first two, but I bought a bunch of those books and, and read some of those. And I like the way he thinks about writing. And so um, that was interesting to me. And then Nelson DeMille is, um, am I pronouncing his name correctly? Uh, I've, I've just now, I had never read any of his books before. And um, he wrote one called The Cuban Affair that I just picked up. And the writing was so rich, I really fell in love with it. So I just ordered a few more of his books, and I'm really looking forward to once I get this last book submitted to publication. You know, spending some time with with his writing. You, you should really read Joe Goldberg's books. Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for you to plug me. Thank you. Very much. <laughs> You'd be the first one. Yeah, come on. What are you doing? That's the best writer I know. Best writer on this podcast besides Chad. Yeah. And you, I'm third. Al, Chad, right. I will say too, um, you know, I not much, so much with the horror, but with his other fiction, I, I really like uh, Stephen King. I loved his um, his um, Dark Tower series, and I read that I think within one year on the DC Metro. But just going back and forth from work, but uh, it was very interesting because I was reading 
oh, I forgot which one I was reading, maybe Needful Things. Yeah, Needful Things. And I was uh, I was in an airport. This was last year. And um, it was the, um, I was traveling with my boss. So we were in the private, we were in the general aviation section, the, the one where you don't have to go through security at, at Dulles. And, um, and I'm waiting for our plane, our, our pilot to get there. And, um, and lo and behold, walking towards me is none other than Stephen King. And I've got his book in my backpack. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be, that, be the guy. Be the I guy. Want to be that guy. But I said I got to say something. So he gets close to me, and uh, I didn't know at the time, but he was there for. Um, they were having an antitrust case, I think, on some of the publishing companies that are trying to to consolidate, and that's why he was there to testify. But I didn't know why he was there at the time. Anyway, he comes to me, and I'm thinking I can't let this opportunity pass. So he got close and he looked at me. He knew that I'd recognized that he was famous, and I just said. Hey man, I got needful things in my backpack. And he said, Good man, and pat me on the shoulder. <laughs> so that was that was the closest I've come to um, you know, the Hall of Fame. That's fame. That's fame. That's it. Just stop. Stop it right there. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Should have asked him to sign your your back or something. You know, yeah. sign my arm. Yeah, yeah. That's good I just, I, I've seen some of his Twitter activity and I was not, he did not look like he was in the best of moods and I did not want to be on the, the wrong side of that. So. so what's your plans here? Are you, are you, you said you've got another book done. It's just part of a series that kind of thing or what, how are you uh, writing now? Like what, what's going on? So I'm doing uh you know, my aim is one a year and um, and again, I, my, my publishing company is not um they 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 let me go on my own time so that's nice but um just in terms of going back to that structure and discipline I, that's what my aim will be and so um the latest book is not in the series it's just a general thriller but um but i felt like i really needed to write it because i couldn't quit thinking about it and it was really howling howling the the loudest and so uh, very happy to get that done but the response to Scavenger Hunt has been so good, particularly with advanced readers and some of the critics that they've asked, you know, are, when are you going to write another one uh, in the series? And so my next book um, for 2023 that I'm writing will be in the Scavenger series. And I'm doing research on it right now. So and I will have to research this one a little bit more. It must involve Canadians. <laughs> There's nothing to research there. No, you, yes. you start running out of autobiography, right? Poutine. Well, so the Canadian, I'll just tell you this as a Boudreaux, I, I did, uh, my wife bought me Ancestry.com a few years ago, and I'd, I'd never grown up with my dad. He died early. And uh, so I grew up in southern Texas and not Louisiana, where most of the Boudreaux's live. But I traced my ancestry back to um, back to France, obviously. But we went through, uh, Hall which is now Halifax. And, um, you know, the group that we were with persecuted pretty hard there by the by the British. And um, so, yeah, I've got some Canadian roots. I, I have not been to to uh, Halifax and um, but I, I'm planning to do that in the in the next couple of years so I can go see what the uh, father's side of the family was all about. When you're when you're writing, um, it sounds like you're very outlined, very structured. You've got all this pattern set up. Um, does your mood affect this then? So when things are really kind of stressful and something's going on, that's not happy around you or with people around you and stuff, does that kind of affect your writing or do you just push through and write anyway? I've never really thought about it. I try to be as consistent as I can. Cause I know if I take too many breaks and I write early in the morning before everybody wakes up and then I'll usually read late at night. Uh, after everybody goes to bed and I still have three kids in the house. So, um, so that's my time. And, and then my work schedule will depend if I, my work schedule can be very hectic. And of course that takes priority. So if that for hot and heavy at work, then writing goes on the shelf. But when I have the time and I am, um, I'm normally in the right frame of mind. I'm normally in the right frame of mind. I, of course I have days where I'm, have emotions like anybody else and does that make it into my story probably i think the best way for me to to measure that is through the music that i'm listening to and you know if i'm if i'm listening to pearl jam um you know i'm i'm probably in a, in a heavy action scene 
and um you know something else is probably probably different but yeah i like to listen to music and the music often reflects the mood that i'm in but let me ask you a question about the research and the autobiographic part how much do you think about your reader as i know you want to entertain but you are writing in an area where there's a lot of people who know some things and they're going to go, Oh no, Chad, that's not how that works. You know, it's a blue, not green. It's the third piece of paper. Do you, how much do you think about those kind of readers, the ones that are inside your world and the readers outside your world? Right. So for scavenger hunt, I had some amazing pros review my book ahead of time. And, and, you know, including, you know, secretary Chertoff, John Ashcroft, who was the U S attorney general, uh, people on really both sides of the aisle but also the, the 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 career folks at the Department of Justice who had you know just knew everything all the history that I needed to know there were some mistakes that I made early on and you have to have thick skin believe me some are kinder than others when they correct you but um, we did everything we could to get it right I think at some point when you're writing you will get comfortable in your area um, for scavenger hunt, again, it was not an area where I thought I had to do a, a lot of research. I did do some just to get the technical pieces right. But, um, you know, for, for anything that I'm doing, I think anything that you're writing, I think you, you do your best you can to learn about your subject. It's, it's obviously better if, if you're an expert in the field and then you, uh, you need to socialize it with the people who know, and you gotta be careful not to do it too early, but at some point you gotta, you got to ask a lot of questions. You almost have to be an investigative reporter. And, and then at some point you can write it and share it and they'll let you know if you got it right or not. No, but they're not shy. Experts are not shy, as you know, to tell you when you're wrong in their area. So, okay. So uh, do, are you going to um, be set up to interact with people? Have you got a lot of social media set up and, and a website and all that? How do you want uh, your fans and readers to, uh, to find you? Yeah, I think the easiest thing, um, other than just going on, um, you know, uh, to your favorite bookstore and buying the book directly is, um, you know, just go to my, go to my website. It's chadboudreau.com, C-H-A-D-B-O-U-D-R-E-A-U-X.com. And you'll have everything there that we're doing. We'll be, um, uh, you know, the book goes live on January 31st. So for, those listening live or near live it's that's that's monday and so um and then after that there'll be we've got a couple of tours that we're doing and other other things that we're doing but uh we're excited well, fantastic of course we'll have that up on the website people can find you with one click and that'll be uh easy for them so how how did it how was it you must have been writing some of this over the pandemic how was that well, I, I've got to tell you, the uh, the pandemic, I have different views about that. I, you know, my first day on the job uh, in my new job as chief legal officer of, of my company was really right at the time we'd set up a crisis management uh, meeting at our company for, for the pandemic. And we were early. So, um, so I didn't have much room to write uh, or even breathe during that time. I think uh, over time, it's, um, you know, obviously, the, some have figured out better than others how to structure their day to where they can be productive. In the legal community, I, I'll just say this as an aside, we have a big problem with uh, stay at home. And that's because, particularly in the manufacturing industry, because you really need to be next to your client. Most people are allergic to lawyers anyway, and so you need to... Uh, you need, they're not going to call you up from home if they, you know, when they're having a business meeting. So in order for lawyers to really be at their best, the most efficient and most persuasive, uh, they need to be with their clients. So um, at, at my company, we're very clear that if, if you've got if you've got some issues with your family or whatever you need to need, that is priority. Take care of it. Stay at home and we will we'll make we'll make do. Uh, but eventually you got to come back because um, particularly for lawyers, I think we're, we're going to be hurt by people staying at home. And unfortunately, not a lot of people are talking about those issues. Something I think just society has to work through, you know, something that you know people have to learn um, what works and what doesn't. So strange. Anyway, well, um, it's been really interesting. So now the book, of course, we're talking about is Scavenger Hunt, a novel. And our guest is the writer, Chad Boudreau. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great. Thank you. 
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.